Hello and welcome, friends, to the court of the Trashy Royals, where we assemble each week to reveal and revel in the tales of our betters behaving badly. My name is Stacy. Hey, friends, Alicia here. Thanks for joining us this week for so many, many naughty nobles. And this is only the first part of the most powerful woman in the 12th century. You thought Empress Matilda from last week was a big deal. Wait until you meet Eleanor of Aquitaine, hmm. Empress Matilda's future daughter-in-law. Hmm. Eleanor lives a really long life, 80 years, as a testament to longevity and cunning and claiming your agency in a time where women really didn't have a lot of it. Before we begin our episode today, we do have some good nobles to thank who've just joined us over at patreon.com slash trashyroyalspodcast getting early and ad-free episodes for two bucks a month. Who is in our scroll, Stacy? Thank you so much for joining us, Caitlin S., Abigail A., Emily G., Katie E., and Ama S. We are so grateful for you and all of our Patreon supporters. Thank you for showing up to listen. This week it is the wild ride of Eleanor of Aquitaine, where history does repeat and it really does rhyme. I love her story. It has everything. Let us anon to Eleanor of Aquitaine from her childhood to the first of her crowns as Queen of France. As we have moved back a few centuries in time, I want y'all to note one thing is that girls, women, ladies don't often get recorded birth dates. Our best guess for Eleanor's birth date is sometime in 1124, maybe as early as 1122. The thing we do know about Eleanor is she was born in Poitiers which is the absolute center of all courtly things happening in Europe. Courtly love, chivalry, troubadours. It is the birthplace of apparently anything good in Anglo-Saxon Europe. Poitiers. It is the most advanced and civilized court. And although there's not a whole lot recorded about Eleanor from this period, no birth date, no hair color, no eye color, nothing about her education or how tall or short she was, Eleanor really doesn't exist on paper until it's time for her to get married, which is a little bit shameful. The only real record of Eleanor's lasting legacy is her effigy when she dies where there is a book placed in her hands, which is probably a little controversial because women in medieval times don't typically read, but you would think with this lasting placement in death that Eleanor would have been more educated than the norm for ladies of her time. Seems right. So 80 years of a life at a time where women had very little agency, Eleanor is going to find some. (laughs) It's going to be bad and good and bad and then good again. Eleanor's tarot card, if she had one, would be the wheel of fortune. Things change all the time in her life, but what a story. When Eleanor is born in 
1122 or 1124. The thing to know is that France in this time, early 12th century, is divided into territories, smaller countries, smaller realms. France is there as we think of it as a land mass, but today, like, France is one country. That's not what's happening. Right. There are territories, there are factions. France as a land mass is divided into many, many tinier places with families ruling those Mm -hmm. tinier places for however long they have. Yeah, the power had not been consolidated. Germany, too, was a series of duchies. I mean, it was... Modern Europe did not yet exist. Correct. So when Eleanor is born, the thing you need to know about her family, they are super powerful. They are in charge, essentially, of the bottom left-hand corner of France, Aquitaine. They have wine and river trades. They're loaded with cash. They rule a lot of territory, which means a lot of feuding sublords. I can't tell you. Big territory, their natural resources are fantastic. This is like the bottom third of France. There are ports of trade. Everything's pretty good. It's a little tense in the country, but things are mostly good. Eleanor's father is William X. (laughs) I love this part. Eleanor's grandfather, William IX, Hmm. is the first recorded troubadour poet. Hmm. Willie IX is the guy who introduces this culture of... He would just bust out a lute and... 100% songs and sex and pleasure. Willie IX sounds like a pretty cool dude. William X, Eleanor's father, isn't quite as uh, extra as his papa is. Sure. Sad for young Eleanor, her mom passes away when she's really young. Depending on her birth year, maybe she's six, maybe she's eight. Eleanor's mother passes away in 1130, and William X is doing the best that he can with two daughters and no sons. Single dad. Right? (laughs) He is. But here's the thing in Aquitaine. There's no predispositioned rule that girls can't govern. It's not like some other countries where, find me a boy quick. Mm, Right. Eleanor's going to get what is her father's when her father passes away. She can have it. Nobody's really comfortable with Eleanor ruling per se, but Eleanor's now stepping up as a power player in her father's schemes. Right. And I'm sure the assumption is that she would marry and problem solved. Uh, She's going to be a bigger part of the picture. Mm -hmm. William X would like to reap some alliances and... William X at this time, bless his heart, is ill. He knows he's dying. So he's going to send a little letter to his friend, the King of France. This is Louis VI. Louis VI is also known in history as Louis the Fat or Le Gros, G-R-O-S in French. Louis VI. He's old too, but William X is old and William X is dying. So William X sends Louis the Fat. A letter. Hey, here's the deal. I'm going to leave all of my lands in the form of my eldest daughter to you. And I'm going to give you her wardship, Louis VI, so you can find her a suitable husband. 
I'm on my way out. Right. You're the only guy I trust, Louie. My cardiologist just called <laughs> with bad news. Louis the sixth is also dying. But whoa, this is great news. Louis's like Eleanor I get of Aquitaine, Aquitaine. Yeah. owns half of France. Mm-hmm. Her lands are huge. This gives whoever she marries whoa yeah. so much power. All so much wine. wealth. Wine, resources, portraits. Sure. So William the Tenth is already dead by the time all this happens, but Louis the Sixth gets this letter and hey, you know what? He knows the perfect, perfect groom for Eleanor. Is it his son? Congratulations. <laughs> it is his son. This would be his son, the future Louis the Seventh. Sure. Who in history is known as Louis the Younger. Louis the Young, I mean, the at least it's not a comment on his appearance. <laughs> Eleanor would be 13 or 15 at the time of this marriage to the heir to the throne of France. Now, Louis the Younger at this point would be about 17. So here hmm. it is not an yeah. inappropriate age difference. I mean, okay, if she's 13, yes, it is, but... <laughs> But no, obviously she could have been married to a 50-year-old at the age of 13, and that wasn't unusual. Comparatively. Sure. In our Trashy Royals ride. Couple of teenagers in love or something like it. It's fine. Mm Appropriate-ish with age, but guess what? Not great with personalities. Mm -hmm. These two at least are contemporaries, but they're not well-matched. Now, let me give you a little bit on Louis. He's the second son of the king. And Louis was never, ever, ever brought up to rule anything. Because Louis had an older brother, Philip. He was the spare. And Philip was going to do that. Right. France at the time has this thing where even Louis will take Philip at the age of 13 and appoint Philip as co-king of France. This is back in 1129. That would be a great way to solidify the line of succession. 100%. You're already co-king with me. Mm-hmm. I'm teaching you how to do everything. Sure. But just, just shadow me, son. Kind I'll of. teach you kinging. So that's all sounds good on paper. But Philip, at 13, teenager, gets a little bit of power. And now he's going outside of all the lines. He's a teenager. He's like, what? I'm the king? No rules. Sadly, (laughs) you've not heard of this King Philip. He doesn't last very long. He got co-crowned back in 1129. In 1131, at the age of 15, essentially, Philip's horse was tripped by a black pig coming out of a pile of poop. And it is head over heels, Philip goes over his horse, over the pig, over the poop, And Philip cannot be saved. And Philip is dead at 15 because of a pig and a horse and some poop. Well, that is a tragic and because it was so long ago, kind of funny story. Enter young Louis, Mm -hmm. who now becomes heir to the throne. But see, Louis is the second kid. He was raised in the sacraments and with religion He was never supposed to be king. Surprise. So July 1137, four months after losing her father, Eleanor is going to marry the heir to the kingdom of France. Unusually for the couple, they get married in Bordeaux, 
Normally, weddings happen in the capital of France, Paris, but not this time. Future Louis VII rocks it on down to Bordeaux. Good wine. I was going to say, red wine, man. Heard about the vinegar? Louis comes down with his entourage, and it is let the good times roll. One hour after the wedding. That may be for dramatic effect. Less than a week for sure. But, like, we're just tapping the keg to get the party going. The DJs just started to spin the good music. Yep. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Here comes a messenger with the news that Louis VI, Louis the Fat, is dead back in France. His cardiologist called with bad news. (laughs) Eleanor of Aquitaine, after having been married an hour, is now the Queen of France. Well. Needless to say, the party is cut a little short. Mm. And off go King Louis VII the Younger and Queen Eleanor up to Paris to handle it. Those are exciting times. Now, William Eleanor's father gave up a lot of Eleanor's agency to attain this marriage. All of Eleanor's titles and lands are now belong to her husband. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, All your land are belong to us. All your land are belong to us. Thank you, says Louis VII. It is goodbye agency for Eleanor. So, not great. They're mismatched in personality. As for this marriage, Eleanor will describe Louis as more of a monk than a man. He's mild. He's meek. Eleanor is going to get a mother-in-law from this marriage. Her name is Adelaide. And their relationship is, well, complicated. Hmm. Adelaide, Dowager Queen, now has absolutely no intention of retiring from being queen. Hmm. Also, she hates Eleanor. Awesome. Awesome. Eleanor does not have a lot of luck with mother-in-laws, as we will find out. Empress Matilda is still in Eleanor's future. So here we have Eleanor, 13, 15, fast track to queen. She has given up her lands and her titles to her husband. She's been denied of agency, but Eleanor has a job to do. The whole reason we need ladies in the picture anyway, that is... To keep the guys from peeing on the walls. No, it is to have the babies. It's to have all the Oh, that too. Yeah. Okay, primarily that. And then the civilizing influence on the court is secondary. Which for Eleanor, it's going to take eight years to do. She will have a miscarriage early. And there are some reasons that can explain the delay for having children. Number one, Eleanor's a child when she gets married. Number two, Louis, more monk than man. He's holy and religious. And (laughs) at this time, there are a ton of rules in the church about when you can make a child. So if it's a saint's day or a religious festival, those are nobody, which is about every day. Think about your saints and religious festivals. Louis, as I mentioned, really religious guy. I don't think they're getting up to too much. Sure. But blessedly, in 1145, Eleanor delivers a happy, healthy baby girl. Yep. Uh, Yeah. So life progresses a little bit. Why not mix it up a little bit and go on Holy Crusade? I mean, gotta do what you gotta do, I guess. You got a toddler. 
Crusade sounds like a breeze. We're going to come back with that bit and the rest of the story after a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Back in a moment. So the king of France just like hops on a horse and is like, hey, going to go liberate Jerusalem. See ya. 100%. Would want to be ya. Yep. 1147. Louis and Eleanor. After. She's like, enjoy the couscous. (laughs) No, they both go. Louis and Eleanor. Oh. Yeah. No, after. Yeah. Both of them. Okay. Are going to have a little bit more fun. They're going to go on crusade. There are a few reasons for this. So partly because of Louis's long lost brother, Philip. Philip wanted to go on crusade back when he was alive yeah. before the horse and the pig and the poop. Before the unfortunate horse and pig and poop incident. So Louis goes to fulfill his, his brother's, brother's request. Also, Louis's doing a little bit of penance. It kind of went bad in 1141 with the Pope, where Louis ends up uh, kind of responsible for a bunch of people burning alive in a church. So Louis is doing some penance for his soul, along with his brother's quest. So here comes Louis, Mm -hmm. representing the Christian West. Battling against the Muslim East for the control of Jerusalem and the Holy Land. So pulling out all the stops, flags, ponies, dangerous crossings in countries and lands that are not yours. Yes, the King of France goes on crusade the whole nine. The crusades don't go all that great for Louis. Louis, it turns out, is a weak leader. He's not very effective. On the opposite hand, Eleanor is praised for her skills, her wisdom, and her strength. This marriage is not successful. These two are not well-matched. Also, when Louis is on crusade, he is celibate. Hmm. So not a romantic trip down to Jerusalem. No, no, no romance at Mm. all. This is a holy mission. And here the couple, after crusading for a bit, is going to take a little break. They're going to travel back to Eleanor's homeland of Poitiers, where Eleanor's older, dashing uncle is in charge. Meet Uncle Raymond. Uncle Raymond is William X's brother. Eleanor's uncle, she loves him. Mm -hmm. She's home with her family in the center of European civility. They share a rich culture. They speak the same language. Eleanor's so happy to be home with all of her people. But guess what? Louis is left out of all of this joyful reconnection. He doesn't speak the language. He doesn't understand the cheese or the wine or the vinegar or anything. Or happiness. Or happiness. And so Louis, instead of, hey, Eleanor, let me learn about your culture... He does not do that. He just gets super jealous and he gets super mad and he starts spreading rumors. And pretty soon all of Europe is talking about the affair that Eleanor, the queen of France, is having with her uncle Raymond. Okay, there are weird responses to things and that is among them. I don't think that Eleanor was having any kind of romantic liaison with her uncle. My contention here is that Eleanor is really scheming to get out of her terrible marriage, and she is going to enlist the help of the most powerful man she knows. It's kind of like the 
call your dad. Mm-hmm. Eleanor doesn't have a dad, right? But Eleanor can call her Uncle, uncle. Ray. She needs help. Mm-hmm. So Eleanor appears to Uncle Raymond. You have to help me, Uncle Ray. You're my only hope. You see what a dud this guy is. Yeah. And sure, helping Eleanor would be a nice uncle thing to do, but let me tell you how it's going to benefit Uncle Raymond. This is not a purely altruistic gesture. Uncle Ray was the brother of Eleanor's father, William X. Ray is dissatisfied with the lands, the wealth, the power given to him by his brother. What Uncle Raymond got was way less than what Uncle Raymond thought he deserved. Well, because a lot of it went with Eleanor to the crown. So if Uncle Raymond helps Eleanor, he's going to get rewarded too. So I just want you to realize that Eleanor is playing next level chess. How is Eleanor going to manifest this plan? She's so smart. Okay, so remember back a few weeks ago when William the Conqueror Mm -hmm. and Edith Matilda wanted to get married and the church was like, hey, 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 you can't do that because here are all these brand new rules we just made up about how you're breaking the seven degrees of affinity. Again, let me assure you, these rules are broken all the time when it is convenient and a large part of breaking that rule happens for what we mentioned a little bit earlier, very old men marrying very young girls with lands, titles, and wealth. It is a tale as old as time. But here, Eleanor, who would like to do anything but be married to Louis VII, is going to come in using a different angle with the church's own rules. And Eleanor goes to her Uncle Raymond. Ah, Uncle Ray, man, I have so many qualms about the related degree of affinity between me and Louis. It certainly can't be legal in the church. Something certainly is wrong here. Lawyered. We really should get this sorted out before he takes me back out on crusade. Mm-hmm. I hate his guts. I mean, sure. I hate Louis, but that my hatred doesn't mean anything here. It is my commitment to God and the mm-hmm. church that mm-hmm. even makes me bring up the whole thing. Lawyered. Never before has a woman tried to pull this stunt, and it won't be the last, but Eleanor's making her play, and it is a good one. It's the best one she's got. Let's annul this now. She would like to have her own agency. Thank you very much. And she wants out. There are no sons in the way. Eleanor really does have the ability to make a power move here, and she will. But this time, Eleanor is not successful. Remember Louis? No wine, no culture, no joy, no language, no nothing. He's like, "Mm, I'm just going to kidnap Eleanor back and we're going to go back out on crusade. (laughs) I guess the celibacy thing this time here ends because they will have another child. Blessedly, a happy, healthy baby. Girl. Girl. Two daughters by the time they get done 15 years. So here on this crusade, bless it. Eleanor has moved beyond Uncle Raymond, and now she's talking to her husband, Louie, about the annulment. Hey, Lou, we're probably too related. We only have girls, and they'll go see the Pope. Yeah, God's not exactly blessing us, is he? Well, the Pope gives them marital counseling, Mm. and then, (laughs) after that, leads the couple to this bed that the Pope made 
so they can be blessed in all of their fruitfulness. That doesn't sound awkward, even a little bit. 100% awkward. Not going great for Eleanor and Louis, but now they're going to head on back to France. And Eleanor has had even more time to increase her resentment levels for her husband, the king, who cannot do anything right. Now they've been on crusade a few times. Now I see not only you're weak and crap in battle, but you're just kind of a dud. Like, this is a terrible life and I don't want it. And this is, I was 13. I didn't sign up for this. Things are worse by the day for Eleanor in her estimation. So Eleanor's going to make a new plan, which she's going to do by uh, late 1151, early 1152. And this time, the plan goes better than the last time. What's the new updated plan? Eleanor's not going to wait anymore for an annulment. The seeds have been sown over the last years. Louis hates Eleanor. Eleanor detests Louis. Welcome to 1152. There's a whole lot of moving parts here. So Eleanor, back in Paris with Louis the King. Hanging out in Paris, having croissant, doing the thing. And here comes the young, dashing, maybe soon-to-be future King of England, Henry Fitzempress, mm. also known as Henry Kurtmantle. You'll know him as the son of... Empress Matilda. The future Henry II. Future Henry II. Who will succeed King Stephen as part of all of that. Yeah. But even that's not secure yet. So what is happening? Henry, not yet king. Nowhere included to be king. Quite yet. England's still in civil war. But Henry wants to be in charge whenever Cousin Steve leaves this mortal coil. Cousin Steve is still alive. Henry is going to bop it on over to Paris to gain Louis' support for what Henry knows is upcoming. Henry has been kind of working for Cousin Steve, but Cousin Steve has a son who he's planning to give the kingdom to. And Empress Matilda is like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. But Henry's coming over essentially to become the Duke of Normandy, which is his birthright, and shape up alliances with Louis VII. Great. Here's Eleanor, 28 or 30-year-old queen, has maybe found an escape plan with the nine years younger, perhaps to be future king of England. Little bit of a complication here, depending on who you are. Eleanor, perhaps, in her marriage with Louis has not been faithful. It was rumored that Eleanor had an affair with... Jeffrey of Anjou, Ooh. who would be the husband of Empress Matilda. Sure. Henry's El- father. Uh-huh. And then Eleanor goes on to have an affair with Jeffrey's son. Sure. Henry. And maybe Jeffrey's like, this is a terrible idea. But alas. The heart wants what the heart wants. But does it? See, this is just, it's so tricky because it's hard to tell with timing. So let me tell you, by March of 1152, Eleanor's marriage to Louis VII is annulled. And it is literally the best of all situations. By this point, Louis is not fighting anymore about getting an annulment like he was back on Crusades. There's no love lost on his part. He doesn't really like Eleanor. 
Eleanor, in 15 years of marriage, has only delivered two girls, and Louis needs a son. Badly. Louis's like, don't go away mad, Eleanor. Just go away. And Eleanor will, in the reason prenups exist from this point on, because no other woman makes it out as well from an annulment as Eleanor of Aquitaine. The two daughters that Eleanor and Louis had will remain legitimate because they made this marriage in good faith. Hmm. Louis says, sure, Eleanor, I'll give you back your titles and your lands and all your wealth that's yours by birthright. He really does want her to go away. Uh-huh. See ya, Ellie. Wow. By the way, Ellie, I'm keeping our kids. I'm keeping our daughters because here's what Louis's thinking. By the time you leave this mortal coil, Eleanor, because girls can rule Aquitaine, my oldest daughter will have those lands and I will have all that land back. Mm. So really here, I'm just playing the long game. After 15 years of marriage, Eleanor, you're an old hag. You can't last that much longer You won't remarry and have sons. You've proved yourself to be darn near infertile in our marriage. Go have some wine, have some vinegar, and just die already so I can get Aquitaine back, right? That's that's Louis' thinking. So Eleanor, single and ready to mingle. Mm. No kids to watch with her land and her titles and her money. Sure. And an old. Plan part one, Mm -hmm. total success. Yep. Pulling out the lute to play a few troubadour poem songs or something. Plan part two, underway. Again, gonna get a little complicated. Because here, Eleanor goes back to Aquitaine. With all of her money and her titles and her lands, but no kids. But we've talked about this time in history, women are not safe on the roads. So people are threatening to kidnap Eleanor on her journey from Paris to Aquitaine so they can kidnap her. Ransom her, yeah. Marry her to have her lands. One of these guys is Geoffrey of Anjou. It's all terrible. Eleanor, because she's not an idiot, makes it back to her homeland where she arrives and immediately writes one letter to a young Henry Kurtmantle. Apparently, the two of them have met one time in Paris. And Eleanor writes a letter to Henry and says, Will you please come to Aquitaine to marry me, pretty please? Bold. This is why I think it had to have been worked out in Paris back in 1151. Certainly, Henry's not going to turn like, Whoa, Eleanor, you've got it all. But really, I think there had to be a little bit of finagling on that front end to have her write one letter. Hey, I've arrived safely. Please come marry me now. Thanks, Hank. Yeah, this actually seems like kind of a good hedge against her now former husband because Henry is the Duke of Normandy and she is Eleanor of Aquitaine. Right. So she's cementing neighboring. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of France that is now sort of... You got it. Yeah. You got it. So, eight weeks and two days after Eleanor's annulment was granted. Eight weeks, two days. A 28 or 30-year-old Eleanor marries a 19-year-old future Henry II 
And Eleanor is now the future Queen of England, but nobody knows that yet. What a bizarre... (laughs) It is just, the timing is so fast. Nothing happens fast in the 12th century, except for the marriage between the two of them. Also, ironic twist, Eleanor and Henry are more closely related in degrees of affinity than she and Louis were. Of course. (laughs) Piety means nothing. Nothing. (laughs) So what does this union of Henry and Eleanor do, to your point here, Stacey? This move shifts the entire European power balance very much to England. Eleanor's lands are now Henry's. And essentially, France just got kicked in the knee by England and pretty much becomes a huge power player. Half of the landmass of what we think of as France now has come under control of the English and there has never been a battle. No war, no weapons, nothing. Just conglomeration. But I mean, this is future state, right? This is not in 1152. This is when Henry assumes. Okay, so this marriage alliance, when Henry does assume, has Henry and Eleanor ruling all of England and half the land of France. This is a big deal. This is 1152. Henry's not even king yet. Take that, Louis the Younger. It won't take too long before Henry is. Mm -hmm. As long as we can get Cousin Steve's son out of the way. Which does happen really mysteriously. (laughs) On the day that Eleanor delivers her first son by Henry. Take that, Louis the Younger. Louis is so mad. Louis's gonna be so mad because... Louis let Eleanor go thinking, oh, you barren, terrible woman. Louis has no idea that Eleanor is about to become the mother of eight children by Henry II. Wow. Wow. Okay, hold on. We're okay. It's too much. By the time Henry II does get his crown in 1154, Eleanor already has another baby on the way which is going to be son number two. Ellie's wasting no time. And the marriage between Eleanor and Henry does appear to be a love match, which think about it. Henry, he's young, he's handsome, he's bold. He wins in battle like he is sexy, capital S. And Eleanor's been married to a monk practically for 15 years. Mm -hmm. I would think Henry is much more her type. So just imagine, here in two and a half years, Eleanor has gone from Queen of France to Queen of England, now with two sons in 1154, Henry and Eleanor, through his claims and hers, rule all of England and most of the landmass of France, including Aquitaine, Anjou, Normandy, Maine, and Terrain too. So this territory that Henry and Eleanor rule goes from England at the top of the border of Scotland all the way through England, all the way through France to the border of Spain. It's a lot of territory. France holds some property on either side of that, but Henry and Eleanor are now big, big time power players This land mass, this section of what they own is called the Angevin Empire. She's got two sons, created an empire. Now she's the Queen of England. Holy cats. And this is only the first part 
of her story. <laughs> Coming for you next week in the continuation of Eleanor's tale. Queen of England in this mm-hmm. go-round, including babies, so many babies, motherhood, another mother-in-law, mm. murders, mm. illicit affairs, and rebellion. I love this story. It is fascinating. This story repeats and rhymes. We see a lot of threads of Eleanor's story in our future episodes. Mm-hmm. That is what I've got time for today. Thank you one and all for listening this week and spending your time with us and your supporting Trashy Royals in all the ways. Telling your friends about us, your awesome emails, your support on Patreon. We can't wait to see you back next week for the Eleanor is Queen of England part of the story. It only gets trashier from here. (laughs) What a strange set of circumstances. Her it is just mm-hmm. it is a wild ride. Her story mm-hmm. is just incredible. I mean, there's a reason why people are still talking about her 800 years later. That's it. Yeah. Until then, just like Eleanor, I want you to keep your eye on the throne. Mm, polish up that crown of whichever nation you choose to lead. Surprise us. <laughs> Thanks again, everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.